From CPR News in La Junta, this is Colorado Matters. We're on the road again to hear how Coloradans are navigating lives complicated by COVID and climate change, lives that are also enhanced by community and creativity. Here in Southeast Colorado, melons may lure people in for a while. We'll meet some young people trying to make the economy here more dynamic. Because there's obviously a segment of young people out there that want to stay in their rural communities, even though it is the trend to leave and go to the big city or someplace else. But a housing crunch complicates things. Later, a listener asks, what's the status of Camp Amache, the site of the former Japanese-American internment camp about an hour east of here? And a popular Pueblo musician scores our road trip soundtrack. I'm Francie Swidler, and I donated my car to Colorado Public Radio. It was a 2004 Nissan Pathfinder. It was a really cool car at a certain period in time, and it has seen some things. So it was time for the car to get off the street anyway, and I knew that it would make me feel okay about saying goodbye. It's easy to donate your car at CPR.org. On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again This is Colorado Matters On the Road Again from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner in La Junta, east of Pueblo, on the Plains. This week and next, Avery Lill and I and the team are hopscotching the state to check in. It's been an unrelenting year and a half. The pandemic, now the Delta variant, the political strife, climate emergencies. It's enough to make you want to stay in bed. Which is why it's so helpful to remember that life continues to be lived, sometimes on horseback. He's already excited, playing mind games with the cowboy. The Arkansas Valley Fair and Rodeo in neighboring Rocky Ford is a celebration of crops and cowboys and cowgirls and community. Well, our distinction is that we have been giving watermelons away for 144 years. 144 years, which makes it the... Oldest continuous fair in the state of Colorado. Sally Cope manages the fair. Now, it's interesting you say watermelon. I have to say, if I tell 10 people Rocky Ford, nine of them will say cantaloupe. And it is cantaloupe. Watermelon was here first, and here came cantaloupe just right after that. But they gave away watermelon slices at the Rocky Ford Railroad Station. And when they came, they had a bountiful crop. And so the story is that they gave slices to the passengers from the train. And they did that two or three years. The crop got larger and larger. And so they moved it to the property here, which was George W. Sweek's timber claim. And so I have old photos that have our midway right here where the carnival is, they would have thousands, hundreds of watermelon, the long big melons, and people standing there dressed in their finest eating melon. And so that was Watermelon Day. Again, which continues. The fair was a bare bones affair last year, too many unknowns in the early days of COVID. But it returned, mostly outside, save for the expo building, whose giant doors let fresh air in. Alongside tables of blue ribbon peppers and pie, the Otero County Health Department put up a sign, Vaccines Here Today. They wouldn't talk on mic, but told me a few people stopped by to be immunized. The vaccination rate in Otero County, 
Half the eligible population's gotten at least one shot. That's well below the state average. One goal on our trip is to ask simply, how are you doing? How have you held up? Questions Gina Trujillo was gracious enough to answer as she browsed the expo hall. She's a first grade teacher in Rocky Ford and is back in the classroom. We've had a lot of struggles trying to educate our kids with the COVID that has hit us. Keeping kids in school is hard. Teaching kids with masks on is hard. Teaching kids online, especially when you're my age, I'm 60 years old, so I'm not as fluent in technology as the young teachers. So trying to be techie and make it cute and all of that good stuff was really hard. Um, In our homes, it was tough because I have an elderly mom that was frightened of the COVID, so she stayed locked up indoors. She didn't want to go anywhere or do anything for a long time. That was tough, just trying to keep her um, sane, really. How's your own health been? Have you been staying healthy this whole time? Or I've had some personal problems. Last year, I, I had cancer. I didn't expect it. It just kind of creeped up on me, so... I had to go through that. So the beginning of the school last year, I wasn't able to start, but I'm, I'm okay. I got through it and I'm okay. What are your hopes and fears for this coming school year? My hope is that we stay in school. I hope that with the way COVID and the new um, strain that's coming through, that it doesn't keep us out of school. I hope that If nothing else, we just mask up again and get through it because being out of school is really hard for the kids. Will you be wearing a mask? We are not at this point required to, but I keep watching the Otero County reports to see where we're at, how many kids or people are getting sick, who's getting sick, and um, if I feel like it's a threat to me or my students, I will mask up. Tell me about your roots here. My grandmother's house is right behind the fairgrounds. My other grandmother's house is down the street on 9th Street, just a block away. So coming to the fair was traditional for us. Coming to Watermelon Day was traditional because we'd hang out at Grandma's, get our watermelons, crack our watermelons on the grass right outside the door and just enjoy the watermelon. I wonder what you think some of the most important issues are in Southeast Colorado. I mean, what weighs on you here? What delights you about living here? Delights me? And what weighs on you? What weighs on me? What weighs on me, I think mostly right now what's been bothering me is some of our smaller communities that surround us, they don't believe in COVID. They think it's a joke. They don't participate in any of the getting the shots, wearing a mask, protecting their kids. Or they, that really weighs on me. That How do people 10 miles away think that this isn't a real issue for our state or for our country or for our world. And tell me something that delights you about where you live. One of the things that I love the most is watching the crops grow. I've always said I want to write a book and show the pictures of the fields when they're broken down for the winter and then how they start up in the spring and watching the crops grow and go through the whole process of the harvest. I've always wanted to write a book about that because I just think it's so beautiful. Driving in on Highway 50 off of I-25 East, I was just bowled over by how everything seemed just to be teeming with life. (laughs) Yes, it's beautiful. And right now, coming down Highway 50, the sunflowers are amazing. 
Oh, I saw the winning sunflower, by the way, on the table on the other side. It, it's impressive. Oh, <laughs> I didn't get to see it yet. I'm on my way that, down that way. I'm really grateful for your time. No, thank you. And I wish you good health. Thank you. Well, let's focus on a different sort of health, the region's economic health. Unemployment in Otero County, 6.8%, is a skosh higher than the statewide average. And while the sign welcoming you to Rocky Ford says growing together, census numbers show a modest population decline. State demographer Elizabeth Garner says that's in stark contrast to one part of the state in particular. 95% of the growth has been the front range, 5% around the rest. 16 counties losing population, Eastern Plains, San Luis Valley's Northwest. But we've picked up on a theme here in Southeast Colorado of young people who are committed to sticking around, which often means creating their own opportunities. Julie Worley helps them do that. She leads a youth entrepreneurship program here. Julie, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Now, one young woman Julie has helped nurture is 20-year-old Jaden Rice of Rocky Ford, who you could say is now paying it forward as operations manager at the Small Business Development Center. Jaden, welcome. Thank you for having me. Julie, you've lived in Southeast Colorado for almost half a century. Uh, why do you? Why did you see entrepreneurship as the best way to keep younger folks in the region? I saw it as an opportunity, as is the case and across the nation. Uh, young people are graduating high school and then leaving their small rural communities to go to the city or somewhere else to live and work and raise their families. I see and we know from the program that I've worked with that young people want to stay, usually want to stay in their home communities. They want their kids to go to school in schools like they attended. They want to live in a small town where they have family connections and just neighbor connections. And I saw southeast Colorado. It's a very similar landscape. It's where I was raised in western Nebraska as an opportunity to put a program, an entrepreneurship program in place here and begin to change the culture, which takes years to get the kids to realize that they could have a career, a business. They could live here and live and work and raise their families here. Well, now, I heard inherently almost a contradiction in what you said there, which is that young people often leave rural communities, and yet you say they want to stay. Uh, Help us understand that. Okay, I'll help you understand that back in uh, the spring of 2015, the program that I work with, we interviewed over 1,850 10th graders in all the schools across the six counties in southeast Colorado. And among many questions, one of the questions we asked them was, if there was an opportunity, a business or a job or something that you could live and work in southeast Colorado, how many of of those 1,850 kids would want to stay? And there was 43% of them that wanted to stay. So it's not 50%, but it was 43%. And we were very encouraged by that because there's obviously a segment of young people out there that want to stay in their rural communities. Even though it is the trend to leave and go to the big city or someplace else. Well, I'm very curious, Jaden Rice, if that includes you. Were you someone who wanted to stay but felt like um, maybe the opportunities weren't as available in southeast Colorado? Yes. So I always wanted to continue rural living, and I am very close with 
my extended family, many of whom live here in Southeast Colorado, but I did not see a tangible way that I could really find a fulfilling career without leaving and at least getting an education outside of the region. Did you at all end up leaving? No, I have not. I've gotten my education here in the Valley through online curriculum and initially through junior college here. And through the college, I found a career that has really been very fulfilling for me, and I don't see myself ever leaving. And that career actually is helping develop small business, uh, not unlike what Julie does. Yes, it's through the Small Business Development Center, which is a nationwide program, but is very rarely utilized. Very few people actually know that we exist. I mean, I had operated small businesses all through junior high and high school, and I had never heard of this free service that there was available. And what is it? So we offer free consulting services to all small businesses, and then very low-cost curriculums and workshops. So, you know, those services that most people would be charging $50, $75 an hour to give you marketing advice or financial advice, you can get it for free because we're a government program through the Small Business Administration. What's an example of a business owner you've mentored? And I just want to reiterate, you are a mentee of Julie Worley's, correct? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've known Julie for many years, even before I started working with youth entrepreneurship programs that she ran. So yes, she definitely did have a huge part in setting me down the path to the career that I now have. But one instance that immediately comes to mind is a more recent client. I started working with her this year. She was homeless because she had always done nonprofit work and never charged for it. Or she almost has, no profit work, it sounds like. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. And she had been doing for others her entire life and barely scraping by. And she decided she wanted to move down here. She was up in the Denver metro area and wanted to start focusing on her art. And now she is creating tile that is miles ahead of sublimated tile. It never fades. It never wears. And she's putting her own original artwork on it. And she is making her living doing something that she loves. Tell me about the horse motel, will you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so Daryl, he has been a client since about one month after I started. And we see him about on a weekly basis. He worked for one of the prisons here and was disabled in a um, riot within the prison. Had some major back and hip and knee injuries because of that. And once he had to retire medically because of that, he decided that he was going to focus on the other part of his life, which was horses. He had bred and raised championship horses with his wife. And his now late wife's dream was always to have a horse motel where rodeoers or show jumpers or anything in between could come by and rest and their horse could 
have good accommodations while on the road. And so he has entirely by his own hands taken two barns on his property and made them into state-of-the-art horse motel. Um, it, it really is amazing. And he did it in a matter of two years. And he is consistently having clients booking with him now. Jaden Rice joins us from the Southeast Colorado Small Business Development Center here in La Junta, along with Julie Worley, who runs a youth entrepreneurship program in this neck of the woods. I asked Worley what it means practically to do that kind of work. Well, it means that, as you know, most kids, when they have an idea, don't have all of the information they need to get the business started. You know, I often use the example of kids that there's a group of kids in a small town here east of Lahana who want to start a student-run coffee shop. And there is a big vacant building in this town that's for sale for 150000 And the kids thought they could buy that building and put their coffee shop in there. That is in Rocky Ford? So when Ford? you ask them, uh, no, it's Manzanola. Oh, it's okay. Just, it's just uh, west of Rocky Ford. Yep. But when you ask those young students, okay, how many cups of coffee will it take to sell to pay for a $150,000 building, then they kind of, oh, my, you know. So you have to walk alongside of them and help them with finances. They have very big plans for the coffee shop, but we're kind of whittling them down slowly but surely. So as in light of your question, you have to walk alongside of them. I've always said an entrepreneur, you have to take them by the hand and you have to have a checklist from the dream of what they want to do to the sign hanging on the door open for business, and you just have to walk them through each step because they have the vision, they have the idea, but sometimes those pieces that need to fit in between the dream and the open for business just don't make sense to them. So it's not that you've dissuaded them from opening the coffee shop in Manzanola. It's that you're sort of right-sizing their dreams? Absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing, yes. Is there a market for it? Does there need to be more coffee slinging in Manzanola? Well, there is no coffee shop in Manzanola at the present time. So, yes, that would be a real opportunity for them. They really mostly want a gathering place for the young people because there's no rec center or anything other than a brand new, brand new school over there. There's nothing for the young people to do. So they would like to have kind of a gathering center for the youth and incorporate the coffee shop into it. We know that the statistics are kind of stacked against new business, and that's true in some fields more than others. I think of how difficult food service can be to survive in. What have you found are the reasons businesses either succeed or fail in southeastern Colorado in particular? Any trends you've seen over the years? Well, Jaden may be able to speak more to that. What I have seen is lack of cash flow within the first two or three years. They don't think that through when they start a business, and many times it's their cash flow that'll get them down. They can't pay the workers or whatever. I would say probably right as we sit here now today, it's lack of being able to get help if they need help in their mom-and-pop business. That is to say uh, it's hard to hire or it's just hard to afford the hiring? A little of both, but Mm -hmm. right at this present time, it's hard to find workers. And it's especially hard here in the rural areas because we don't have as big a populace, obviously. But there's just so many jobs that are going unfilled here in the Valley that if you had a business and you were a a one-man shop, you'd be in there 
from the time you open till the time you close because there's just nobody to hire. What a fascinating chicken and egg proposition, Jaden Rice. It is a uh, chicken uh, and egg proposition. <laughs> because, <laughs> Jaden, you want people to stay, even to move to Southeast Colorado, that relies to some extent on entrepreneurship. And yet, as we heard from Julie, uh, there's a, a dearth of workers. Do you want to reflect on that for me? Absolutely. For instance, last month, we assisted with holding a big career fair to help all of our small businesses recruit workers. And we had 19 businesses represented at the career fair, and we had 35 individuals walk through. Between the 19 businesses, there were over 120 job openings. (laughs) Wow. And I think one of the additional hurdles that has definitely lended itself to our shortage of workers is we have a major real estate crisis. We have no homes up for sale and we have people consistently moving into the area, very often retirees. So our few homes that we still have available are being filled up by those who are no longer going to be contributing to the workforce. And that's, that's not to say it's a bad thing, but there are individuals that want to move down here. They see how many jobs there are, but they don't have the cash to compete with the retirees. So a housing crunch you might normally associate with the high country and metro areas affects rural southeast Colorado as well. The final part of our conversation about entrepreneurship and quality of life here as Colorado Matters continues in the next half hour. Also ahead, what's up at Amache and a Pueblo musician's moving soundtrack for our travels. We are on the road again. I'm live just off Highway 50 in La Junta, Colorado. Drove here from Rocky Ford this morning through Swink, Colorado, with the state's tallest flagpole. I'm Ryan Warner. You're with CPR News and KRCC. When Susan Anderson got off the train in Fraser in 1909, she brought with her two things she picked up in Michigan, a medical degree and tuberculosis. She had tried to set up a medical practice in Cripple Creek, but women doctors were not welcome. Denver and Greeley were equally unreceptive. By the time she crossed the Continental Divide, Susan Anderson was very ill and hoped the clean mountain air would help. It did, and soon she built a medical reputation, first among a few women who brought children and eventually husbands. They called her Doc Susie. Traveling on foot, ski, snowshoe, and by train, she saved many lives and brought more into the world. By some accounts, she delivered more than half the population of Fraser. Her home still stands there, and a street bears her name. Doc Susie Avenue. A Colorado postcard from Colorado Public Radio. Live from La Junta, this is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. 
Southeast Colorado may be best known for cantaloupe and watermelon, and rightfully so. I devoured a personal seedless over the weekend. But we're getting a local flavor that extends beyond that. Coming up, a musician finds inspiration despite one of the darkest chapters of his life. Also an update on the status of Camp Amache. But we'll return now to the final part of my conversation with economic developers Jaden Rice and Julie Worley. Before the break, Rice reflected on the housing crunch in and around Rocky Ford. I asked if Worley had thoughts. I do want to reflect on that. It's in every rural town across America. And in southeast Colorado, the average age of homes in our small towns is over 50 years old. There's just not a lot of new homes being built. And so, as Jaden says, people are coming in, buying up the houses. And so people that are of working age that want to either move in or they need a bigger house for their growing family can't find a place to live. There are some very robust programs being developed here in southeast Colorado now, some very innovative programs to maybe help with that housing shortage. But, of course, it's going to take a year or two to get that all going and get built up. I wonder, Jaden, what your living situation is. I know that you, one reason you decided to stay in southeast Colorado was to be near family. Do you want to reflect just a little bit more on that for us? Yes. So I am very fortunate. My family, several years ago, bought a property with two very old farmhouses. And I am renting the smaller and older of those two farmhouses from my parents with my husband. It's a 1901 building that was then later on converted into a house. There's no air conditioning. There's no central heat. There are some holes that just can't be patched, thus the snake this morning. <laughs> but oh, wait, 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 wait. What, what snake? So, uh, yeah, my, my morning started chasing a garter snake out of my house. <laughs> but I am very fortunate because there are many individuals that can't even find a one-bedroom apartment. So with all its flaws and charisma, I am very fortunate to have the home that I do have to rent. I just want to note that you're 20 years old. You speak with a sense of that place and a sense of yourself that seem far beyond your years. But when people who want to start a small business walk in and they meet a 20-year-old who's going to be their guide, what is their reaction? Um, very few people do know my age. Um, I well, look older I've just than changed I that. I guess I've just changed that. That's all right. Okay. I look older than I am. I speak much older than I am. I've always been an old soul. So generally, people have no issue with it. They know that I know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to lead them down any road that I personally have not walked or have experience in. And so that's where you see, I think, a little bit more of the rural culture. You know, letters behind your name don't mean as much around here as being genuine. Not only just genuine, but I also have lived here my whole life. So sometimes being a transplant with a PhD has less merit than being a born and raised Southeast Coloradan with no degree. I mean, I have a degree, but oftentimes there's more camaraderie just 
with having lived the rural lifestyle. Julie Worley, how has COVID and all of the economic realities of the pandemic affected the hopes of the young people you mentor and who might have bright ideas like starting a coffee shop in Manzanola? That's kind of a loaded question. Initially, of course, they were devastated. We were set to do a pop-up coffee shop in Manzanola with the student-led group, and COVID shut it down two weeks before we were going to do it, and they were devastated. They've now bounced back. They realize that it's going to take effort now because with COVID now, everything is like you're starting over again. And so they're starting over to begin to raise money and and begin to work through the plans of getting this coffee shop going. I have had more interest in entrepreneurship from the youth here in the last three months than I've had for, well, through COVID. But even before COVID hit, uh, kids didn't just call me out of the blue and say, hey, I have this project. Can you help me with it? I now have kids calling me out of the blue asking me that. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. I've tried to figure it out. I don't know whether they see that there's opportunity. I'm not sure what it is. I've spent some time thinking about it. What are some other ideas that they're bringing? Skin care products. A group of girls here in Lahana is doing that. There is a girl up in Crowley County in Ordway. She is doing some clothing apparel items. There's a couple of kids that have livestock projects that they're interested in growing their livestock projects. Some of these are results of FFA projects that they've done in school this past year. FFA, Future Farmers. Yeah, and then there's some 4-H projects. Others are just coming out of the kids want to try something and be their own boss. How young are some of these people? Well, the Youth Entrepreneurship Projects works with 5th through 12th graders, so... I don't know how old you are when you're in fifth grade, but those kids, those kiddos. And a lot of the, many of the kids in Manzanola were in fifth grade when this idea first started. They're now in eighth grade or ninth grade, so it carries through. I can't fathom being even vaguely entrepreneurial at fifth grade. I guess I might have sold lemonade at that point. Yeah, yeah, right. Or mowed lawns, yes. There's a couple of lawn mowing projects for kids that are in fourth, fifth, sixth grade. All right, before we go, uh, Jaden Rice, do, do you imagine that you'll be there for the rest of your life? Is that what you see for yourself? And if not, what would it take to keep you there? <laughs> um, by my choice, yes. I would see myself living here for the rest of my life. I think the only thing that would drive me out is if, for some reason I had to move for my job or there was no way for my husband to stay employed in the region. I really do love Southeast Colorado. It's special, not, not just because it's a rural region. It is unique in its own right. I definitely second that. Well, Julie, Jaden, thank you so much for being with us. Thank Absolutely. you for asking us. Jaden Rice and Julie Worley, who are helping reshape the economy here in southeast Colorado. You can't live here in La Junta without hearing this. Anthony Cotton has our next story. Freight trains rumble through La Junta morning and night, while Amtrak's Southwest Chief pops in a couple of times a day. There are also cars and trucks, but not everyone has access to them. That's a problem for some students at Otero Junior College who often find themselves isolated from the rest of town. But that may be changing. I know that 
it will really help the community and people who don't have modes of transportation. Uh, we thought this would be really good for the college, considering they have a lot of international students that could use the bikes and don't have vehicles. This is Shaylee Schmidt, a senior at La Hunta High. In a social studies class last year, a project got rolling. Schmidt wrote a grant proposal with input from local officials to bring bike share to La Hunta. The Colorado Department of Transportation signed off in May. The grant approved for 26 bikes and 33 racks. And right now we're in the process of ordering the bikes and we're hoping to have it implemented by late October, early November. One place that cyclists might pedal to is the Barista, a coffee shop near the Amtrak station. It's where Schmidt and I met up on Saturday. In a few hours, she has a volleyball game against Centauri High School in La Jara. For now, the 17-year-old sits and sips on a chai latte. It's the end of the first week of school. This year, at least for now, students are full-time in person. There's no mask mandate. I liked it. It was nice to get back to normal and to see people's faces and have that interaction. So hopefully we stay like that for the rest of the year. Last year, La Hunta High, which has a four-day school week, tried to go hybrid, two days in school, two days remote. But as the pandemic raged, that switched to full-time online. For me, it was personally a struggle to do online. It was just hard to focus at home, a lot of distractions, and I think it was a struggle for a lot of kids. And I think a lot of kids didn't really learn very well because the teachers weren't used to online and it was just different. The teachers would ask questions and no one would want to speak up. Um, so we didn't have a lot of interaction. Schmidt says Otero County's 50% vaccination rate reflects the debate on campus. I think some people are completely opposed to it. They don't want the vaccine at all. But um, personally, I have been vaccinated because I know that a lot of colleges are requiring it now. So I just thought that I would get it to be ready and prepared for that. Most of my friends are pretty chill about it. They don't really... We don't really get in arguments about it, but I think there definitely are some people who don't want it at all and some people who think you should definitely have it, and that can cause a feud. So, Before this outing to the barista, Schmidt says she spent part of Saturday morning applying to colleges. The University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, less than two hours away, tops her list because it's close to home. She wants a career in medicine, perhaps pharmaceuticals, but Schmidt says the Bike Share Project has opened up new possibilities. We're looking at other grants that we could write um, to help the city out. I wouldn't be opposed to working with grant writing in the future. I've always just kind of been interested in the medical field, but I think it would be a good second option if I wanted to further my career in a different path. And it's just also a good personal experience for me to get to learn more about our community and about grant writing and about working with other people because this was really my first time talking to other businesses and reaching out, emailing them. I never thought that I would write a grant, so that's pretty cool to say. That is Shaylee Schmidt at The Barista, who's helping bring bike share to La Junta. Producer Anthony Cotton brought us her story. About an hour east of here, near the Kansas border, there are the remains of a dark chapter of American history. 
Some 7,000 Japanese Americans were forcibly imprisoned at Camp Amache, officially called the Grenada Relocation Center. While we're in this neck of the woods, listener Robert Harada of Lafayette had a request. I would just like an update on the uh, Amache Japanese internment camp in uh, southeast Colorado. It has been proposed as a, uh, a national historic site by our Congressman Joe Neguse, and I would hope that it would uh, have enough support to be passed and more information about it would be helpful. And Robert, is there any particular reason this is um, an issue that is important to you? Uh, my parents and grandparents were uh, interned in a similar camp in uh, southern uh, Arizona. Did your parents talk a lot about it to you? <laughs> no, I had to drag it out of them, kicking and screaming. It was part of their life, but they didn't really speak about it. And uh, I was born and raised in Minnesota, so you know there wasn't a lot of exposure to other Japanese, Japanese-Americans. And so uh, it was... Uh, difficult for them to talk about, you know, and I would have to ask them very specific questions about where did you <laughs> get this piece of wire? And it, they would just say, oh, it came from camp. Oh, you went to camp? <laughs> so Yeah, a very different kind of camp than you'd expect if you were a kid listening to that story. Exactly. Yeah. Bob Harada, wondering what's up with Camp Amache. Well, our Washington, D.C. correspondent, Caitlin Kim, visited the former relocation center during a reporting trip a while back and joined me. I'm just curious, first off, what it felt like to be there. It felt very weird to be there because it was like, in some ways, stepping back in time. When you go see like ancient Greek ruins, right, that you knew something happened here the structure is there, but like nothing is still there there. And when I first drove in, there was um, there were a couple of signs and like a little marker and some historic billboards. But as you actually drive into the site, it is just like dirt road. I mean, I went there on a fall day. It was bright blue skies, but it was like all yellow grass. Everything was kind of grown over. You could see the foundations, the skeleton of the road, the foundations of the buildings along the roads, and maybe some signs saying at one point, this is where the elementary school was. And then as you get further in, you know, the volunteers have actually sort of built up the place or, or tried to renovate and actually create some of the buildings that were there. So you have the water tower, you have a barracks that were there and you could like peek in and you could see these really just empty rooms with like no plumbing, just like a light bulb hanging down. So it was like hauntingly beautiful is how I think about it, because I mean, it is great to be on the plains and just, just you can see straight to the horizon but also when you think about it, for these Japanese Americans who had come from like California, from their own farms where everything was green and lush, to come here and be like, wow, this is different. There are tumbleweeds. And I do remember there was a tumbleweed about knee high that was sort of following me as I was walking down this road, this dirt road, the skeleton of what was left of this camp that was bustling, you know, 60 plus years ago. And haunting, of course, because of the history as well, yeah. this forced relocation. Mm -hmm. So Congress is getting involved. And where does that stand and what exactly are they doing? So the House passed a bill that would declare Amache a national historic site, which basically would bring it into the national park system would give it funds, right? The national park system would then be able to build like a visitor center or actually throw resources into it. So that Amache Historic Site Act actually passed the House overwhelmingly. I believe only 
two two people, two Republicans voted against it. It was introduced by Representative Joe Nagus in the second congressional district and his neighbor and the representative who actually represents where Amache is located, Republican Ken Buck. The two of them have worked together on this bill to push it across the finish line in the House. Now this bill, this act goes to the Senate where Senators Michael Bennett and John Hickenlooper are the main sponsors. And... I bet you are sighing because the timing of the Senate these days is yeah, up in the air. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? It's something I'm pretty sure would get a lot of support in the Senate if the uh, anti-Asian hate crimes bill was any indication. But right now, the Senate, to get anything passed in the Senate, you need to have a hearing. So I know that Senators Bennett and Hickenlooper have requested a hearing for uh, the Mache National Historic Site Act. Once that happens, the path for it to pass the Senate becomes a little bit easier. It's always easier to pass a bill when the Senate has had a hearing on it or at least brought it up in committee. But as I think everyone is aware, uh, the Senate is a little bit busy right now. They They did just pass an infrastructure bill, but there's still a larger budget reconciliation package that they're working on. And I think the Senate is going to be a little bit tied up dealing with that. And still, one thing I think people are forgetting because we are so far into this administration, there are still a lot of nominees to pass for the administration, right? Like a lot of people in the State Department, DOD, Homeland Security, you're getting nominations coming through every week. So the Senate's going to get backlogged on that as well. Thanks so much, Caitlin. Thank you. That is CPR's D.C. reporter Caitlin Kim with an update on Camp Amache about an hour from here on Colorado's southeastern plains. We'll be right back with a haunted wind chime here with CPR News. Weed may be legal, but the cannabis business is by no means fair. I'm Anne-Marie Awad, host of On Something, CPR's podcast about life after legalization. And our third season has been all about that elephant in the room. There was a lot more sophisticated chicanery than I had ever anticipated. Every episode of On Something's latest season is available wherever you listen to podcasts and at onsomething.org. This is Colorado Matters on the road again from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again As we planned this trip, we couldn't get the Willie Nelson song out of our heads. So we thought to put it in the hands of Colorado artists. This week, it's Inea Lujan of Pueblo who's a sixth-generation Coloradan. Luhan is well-versed in country music and considered a true-to-form cover, but opted for something different. Like, what would Motown do, or what would Phil Spector, you know, how would he produce this song if he got his hands on it? I just start to think of music in terms of, like, colors and in different landscapes, or even eras of film. Like, you know, I just got done watching Goodfellas. It's got so much great 50s and 60s era music, especially, like, girl groups. That was definitely swimming around in my frame of reference and subconscious when I sat down to do this version of it. So make some space, Ronettes. On the road again. 
going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again And I can't wait to get on the road again Inea Lujan has long performed, recorded, and produced music in Southern Colorado. He and his former folk band, The Haunted Windchimes, put out six albums, got some national attention even, with an appearance on a Prairie Home Companion. Lujan then formed the vintage pop duo In Plains with his bandmate and partner Desi Garcia. Most recently, Lujan has embarked on a solo project after his split with Desi. I'm so sorry I didn't mean to hurt you, girl I never meant to make you cry This track, Phases, came out in late 2019. Wuhan wrote it at a particularly difficult time, even before the trauma of the pandemic. He was dealing with a divorce, some health problems, and a relapse in his longtime struggle with what he calls pill addiction. I'm going through some changes. Writing Phases was Wuhan's way of mourning a past life and inviting in a transition. That song came out of the ashes of all of these tragedies that I was going through, but also was this sort of glimmer of hope and all that, of understanding that there's no further down I can really go at this point, kind of having that rock bottom moment of realizing that if I want to be alive and if I want to continue creating, like I really need to do something drastic. And that song led to my sobriety, led to me relieving myself from some of this pressure that I've felt all of my life to be a musician, to be successful, to have a successful marriage and relationship and and what it means to kind of navigate all of those challenges. This was me kind of like reclaiming some ownership over the fate of my own life. Then the pandemic, which shut down the music industry and turned the only life Luhan knew upside down. I've basically been a touring musician since I was 16, and 2020 was the first year I didn't spend on the road in, I think, 15 years. But Luhan says the downtime was a blessing in disguise. The pandemic brought some financial stability, forcing him to explore other sources of income, finding steady work doing graphic design. It also allowed him to focus on self-care. I kind of took this time as a way to hit the reset button. I got sober in the process. I leaned into things like filmmaking and photography and just tried to learn. Taking time to kind of have some clarity and self-care and these themes that aren't synonymous with, you know, that rock star lifestyle. I'm one with my darkness to Whomever it may concern Three types of feelings I get Four, getting everything else Five, I'm still alive I'm still 
Like so many musicians, Inea Lujan adapted to a new reality of virtual shows and live streams, including to celebrate the release of his solo debut, Do What You Want. As for his hometown of Pueblo, he says the art scene has fared relatively well. There's been a great community effort to make sure that the art galleries and spaces were kind of still well attended. And we, you know, we've just done the best we could to follow CDC regulations and mask up and still try to participate in the community as we felt it was safe to do so. And then through grant funding and things like that, I mean, Pueblo, from my vantage point, has has made it through okay, you know, and we have a lot of community organizers and artists to thank for that. You've won, have lost it Two, emotional, two, deceptive Three, little pills to keep you Four, times a day should help you Five, Inea Lujan of Pueblo. On top of the new solo EP, he has a vinyl-only release, Echo Brain, and his street photography is on display at this space in Colorado Springs through the end of August. Okay, so you just go? Yeah. Okay. I'm Rachel Harper. I'm a high school student from Sherrill, Colorado, and this is Colorado Matters on the Road. The team guiding our journey is... Carl Bielek. Allie Butner. Anthony Cotton. Andrea Dukakis. Michelle Fulcher. Matt Hers, Michael Hughes. Carla Jimenez. Avery Lill. Pedro Lumbrano. Patrice Mondragon. Shane Rumsey. And I'm Ryan Morner in La Junta with thanks to Hart Van Denberg. His stunning photo essay from the Arkansas Valley Fair and Rodeo is at CPR.org. On to Colorado Springs now. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I